However, when there are things coming up, we will send you a text message that lets you know kind of what's going on, such as things like our theme days next Sunday is Father's Day. Praise the Lord for us fathers. We get a whole day to uh, be uh, told how horrible we're doing at being a dad. <laughs> no, I'm just playing, but it does seem like that. Everybody honors moms and kicks dads in the behind. So we're not going to do that at ROC. We're going to honor our dads as well, but we're, it's going to be superhero day. And so we're going to have people dressed up like superheroes, and you're welcome to. I'm going to wear my Superman shirt. It's going to be awesome. And so you need to know what that is so you can get out your Superman shirt that you only get to wear once a year, right? And then there's special days that come up through summer. Like, it feels like it's been forever since we've had a worship night. They're one of my favorite things that we do. It's coming up at the end of the month. And then also, we're going to do something we've been doing now for a couple of years, and that is we're going to have an online-only service on July 3rd because we're going to be taking stories from our church, stories of freedom, of what God has been doing in, in all of our lives and testimonies. And we're going to make those into a special service that's online. And so if you're not connected, you're not going to know. And you're going to show up July 3rd, uh, and it's going to be you and Jesus. It's going to be here. We're all going to be online. So make sure you do that. Okay, everybody's got that? All right, good. Let's get into the next part of our series entitled Spiritual Authority. And one of the things that I've been wanting to do is to try to find a way every single Sunday to give you a different idea about how to understand what spiritual authority is. And so we talked about it being like, you know, bacteria that you can't see and then, and, and then these other things. Well, something happened to me this past week that gave me an opportunity to see what spiritual authority is and or spiritual world really is. And that is that, you know, we talked about it last week. Like Jesus said that the spiritual world is like wind. You can see it, but you can see its effects. You can see it everywhere. Well, that is to me one of the best examples of what spiritual, uh, the spiritual world is, is that it is all around us, but we don't always interact with it the same way. And so this past week, I don't know if you noticed, but it was really windy, like this past week at different times. And there was this one time I was, uh, this, uh, I was outside with one of my daughters, and we were just kind of minding our own business, doing whatever. And out of nowhere, the wind started to catch one of the rocking chairs on my uh, back deck and started rocking it back and forth. Just enough to make it look creepy, right? You know what I mean? Just a enough to look a little weird. And so she looks at me and she said, Dad, that, uh, that rocking chair wasn't rocking anymore and it's, it's rocking now. That's a little creepy. And so I said, babe, you've been watching too many scary movies. What have you been watching anyway? It's just the wind got, you know, got uh, enough to where it started to rock the chair. That's, that's all it is. You've been watching too many scary movies. And I had gave me an opportunity to say, that's just like the spiritual world. We don't always see it, but we see the effects of the spiritual world all around us. If, if you ever are in a church service and you see somebody crying, it's probably not because someone stepped on their foot. It's because they are experiencing the presence of God, something you can't see physically, but you experience it. And so she was like, oh, okay, I get it. And then the second rocking chair started to rock by itself just a little bit. And because I have seen one too many scary movies, I said, you know what, that's just the wind, but let's go inside anyway, right? Because I wasn't Completely sure, because the spiritual world is real. But that's the idea behind this. And so the goal of this series is that we're going to establish the reality of our spiritual enemy and God's plan for the body of Christ to walk in daily spiritual authority. Because for many of us, we have watched too many scary movies. And so the end of the, end of the day is, as much of our idea about the spiritual world is informed by social media and culture and all these different things. But what we want to do is we want to come back to what God's word says. Because that's the source of truth for everything that we have. And we want to say, you know what, there is a spiritual enemy that doesn't like the freedom that you have in Christ. But there's also a plan that God has for us so that we don't just walk in spiritual authority on Sunday mornings, but we walk in spiritual authority every day 
in our lives. And so let's dive into God's word and let's look at part three of our series. God's word says in Ephesians 6, it says a final word. So everything that, that God's word has been teaching us up to this point about experiencing freedom in Christ, walking in God's presence, and then being in mutual submission together, God's word says, now that you know all that, I need to give you a warning. You need to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. So he's saying, there is a plan that God has for you to stay free, but you need to understand the reason why there's a plan is because you have an enemy. And not only that, but he studies you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows the places where you're not so sure about things. He knows those areas, and so he has a strategy against you. So you need to put on the armor of God, and then after the battles that we face, you will still be standing firm. And as we've been talking about, Jesus won the victory for us when he died on the cross. When he said, it is finished, he wasn't just saying that what he was doing on the cross was finished, but he was also declaring an end to the war. He won the war. And so now we don't, we don't operate from a place for victory. We stand in the victory that God has already given us through what Jesus did when he died on the cross and then he rose again. So now that we do that, God's word says to then stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth, which we talked about last week, and the body armor. If you grew up in church and were reading older translations, it said breastplate, but it, the newer translation says the body armor of God's righteousness. So last week, we talked about the idea of first, the central piece of the armor of God is the belt of truth, because it was the belt that held this bad boy in place, and it was the belt that, that situated everything else. And so if you don't have a foundation of truth in your life, Nothing else is going to work. And so you've got to decide what the foundation for your life is going to be. And we talked about real quickly, without redoing that message, you can go watch it online. It is that there's three main types of truth. And you've got to decide which one is true. And they all three can't be true. You've got one which is objective truth. That is that there are foundational truths that are observable and provable that don't really care how I feel about them. They just are. And I observe them in the wild. <laughs> then you've got the second kind, which is subjective truth, which is that truth is changeable depending on my point of view. You have your truth. I have my truth. And, and everything is, is optional. Then you have the third kind, which is the most dangerous, and that is that there is no truth. There's just my opinion. And therefore, truth is what I make it to be. And what you have to decide is what is gonna be the foundation of truth in your life. And is what we've said is that a Christian worldview is the first one, that there is a truth, which is God's word, that is the objective standard at which we rate all of reality, and it stands firm against the test of time, and it is provable in all things. So once we have that one, the second thing that builds on top of it is based on the truth of God's word, I also have the body armor of righteousness. And so if you're taking notes, here's the big idea about the body armor of righteousness, and that is that I stand in victory with my heart secure because of my position in Christ and my daily walk toward freedom. The belt of truth, excuse me, the, uh, the breastplate of righteousness, the body armor of righteousness helps me to stand in the victory that Christ has won with my heart secure because of my position in Christ and my daily walk toward freedom. Now, like I said, today's time, this is body armor. 
This is a tactical gear that is heavy, but not too heavy. But if you see me moving slower and slower through the message, it's because I'm getting tired, and that's okay because a cup of coffee and I'll be just fine, all right? But for now, this thing is heavy, and, it's, and I want it to be because there are, there are plates in this thing. Are they steel plates inside of this if they're not what they are now? I, steel plates inside of this that if there's anything that comes at me from an enemy, it's going to hurt. Like, it's going to hit me. It's going to ruin my day. But it's not going to kill me because there are steel plates here to protect me. Well, just like now, back in the Roman times, they would have armor that they would, have, that they would go into battle with. And uh, Paul, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, he is sitting in prison, and he's trying to help the believer understand what they look like spiritually. Because one of the greatest lies of the enemy is that once you come to Christ, that you are weak and vulnerable and a victim in all things. When rather, when you come to Christ, an explosion happens spiritually. Jesus said it's like being born again. And now you are clothed in the righteousness of God, and you are ready to stand in that victory. And so you actually have armor on. And that's what Paul looks over, and he sees the Roman soldier because he was in jail. And he's like, that's exactly what the believer looks like. And so he starts to describe this, and he starts to say that, man, the righteousness that God has that's like body armor to shield your vital organs, such as your heart. It looked kind of like this in the old time. So you got the first one, you got Maximus Decimus Meridius, you know, are you not entertained, right? And he's so handsome, and he just looks great, and he's like a legionnaire. Like that, that's what the, the Roman armor would have looked like for like one of the higher ups, the generals. You can see he's got the strips of metal, but then he's got one solid a piece of metal there. That's what the legionnaires who didn't always get involved in battles look like. This is what the average soldiers would look like. That underneath all of this would have been kind of a kind of a vest made out of leather. But then on top of that would be strips of metal that was intended to be there for optimal movement. Because if you just had one big uh, piece like this, you'd have to move your whole body rather than being able to be more agile. Think of like scales on a snake. It's the reason why they can slither around and be disgusting the way they are is because they have thousands of little scales for optimal movement. It's the same thing with the, the Roman weaponry is this was not intended to be a weapon. And one of the things that we as Christ followers need to understand that the righteousness of God and the positional and the practical righteousness that we have is not intended to be something that we swing at somebody as a weapon, but rather we put it on for protection. So it's one of the things that we have to understand as Christ followers that everything we're going to talk about today is not a way to measure ourselves against somebody else. But instead, it's how we stand in victory. And the number one thing that the Roman armor was intended to do was to, to repel the enemy's advances and to protect the vital organ, especially the heart. And that's exactly why God's word says this. It says to guard your heart above all else. Why? Because it determines the course of your life. And so when, when God's word is, is looking at us, he's saying, you know what you need to do? You need to have the belt of truth on, and you need to put on the righteousness of God to protect your heart. Because what the enemy is after is he's after your heart. He's after your confidence. He's after your, your ability to stand strong in God's presence. And so what he is going to do is he's going to attack your heart and everything he can possibly do so that if you can take your righteousness off then he can stab you right there and he can move you off of that position of victory. And so we keep on our body armor of righteousness at all times. Well, that sounds great. What is righteousness? Here's a definition of righteousness. Righteousness is the standard of being in right relationship with God. Having this on means that I am in a place where I stand in victory because I have the standard of being in right relationship 
with God. Another way of saying it is like this. Righteousness is living in the light. Unrighteousness is living in the dark. And so you get that right out of the name. Righteousness is in a right relationship with God. Unrighteousness, or if I could have said it this way, wrong, wrongfulness is the idea of living in the dark places of life. It's in the light where Christ wants to bring us out of those dark places. We can experience the goodness of God. We can experience the freedom that God has for us and the confidence of knowing who we are in Christ. As opposed to being in the dark, it's in the dark places where brokenness is allowed to thrive, where addictions are allowed to take over, where demonic spiritual warfare gets the better of us because we live in the dark rather than in the light. God's word says it like this. It says, the mind, their mind, speaking of those in darkness, are full of darkness and they wander from the life God gives. But that isn't what you learn about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lusts and deceit. In other words, throw off the attitudes and the habits and the things of darkness that you learned. You don't need them anymore. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So once again, the lie of the enemy is that when you gave your life to Christ, that you became just weak and vulnerable and as though you walked out of the dark, you walked into the light, but yet you were just all there by yourself. But the truth is, is that when you were delivered out of darkness into light, a spiritual explosion happened. You became positionally the righteousness of God and you put on the armor of God. You didn't even know what it was yet. And you put on the truth of God's word and the breastplate of righteousness. And so the truth is, is that when the enemy lies to you and tries to get you to back off of your standing in victory and he wants to challenge what God has done in your life, you can stand strong because you have on the breastplate of righteousness. And here's two things that this does in our life so that we are never, ever supposed to back up, but we stand in the victory that God has given us. Here's the first one. And I'll go ahead and tell you that I wrote this down wrong when I gave it to our team. And so the heading is not supposed to say what it says. It's supposed to say, we stand in victory with our hearts secure because positionally I am secure in Christ's finished work of salvation. I stand in victory, not moving a muscle. The enemy cannot move me from this place of victory because my heart is secure positionally. My heart is secure because of Christ's finished work of salvation. Because I want to tell you a lie the enemy is probably going to tell you if he hasn't already, and that is that you give your life to Jesus, and you're so excited about what God's done in your life. You come back to church the next week, and the enemy will tell you, how dare you raise your hands? How dare you even come to church? How dare you share with your neighbor or your family member or your coworker about Jesus? Who, do you not remember who you are? Do you not remember what you've done? Do you not remember the things of your past? And so what the enemy wants to do is he wants to pierce your heart with those lies of saying that you are defined by what you used to be so that he can get you to back up off of the victory that God has for you. But the reality is, is I can stand with complete authority in Jesus, with my breastplate or my body armor of righteousness on because positionally I am secure in the, in the finished work of Christ through salvation. As a matter of fact, when Jesus died for our sins, he did something called provided justification for all of us. Now that's a word that I don't know about you, but I haven't used in the past couple of weeks. 
I didn't say to anybody, have you been justified? All right? Now, I don't know if you've used that in a long while, but I'm going to give you a definition of what that means. That means just as if I had never sinned. Justification means just as if I had never sinned. It's one of the things the enemy will lie to you is the enemy will lie to you and will say that you might have been forgiven, but you're still who you used to be. But what Christ does is when he comes and he washes away our sin, he doesn't just cover them, but he washes them away so that we can stand and now who he says that we are. And an idea about this is, um, I don't know if you've ever, how many of you ever been to Harper's Catfish in Scottsville, right? Uh, you've experienced the goodness of the Lord? Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, back uh, this past month in the month of May, uh, if you were here on, I think it was the first Sunday in May, uh, we had a guest speaker, one of my dearest friends named uh, Steve Qualls, and he is a big time catfish fan. Like he loves to eat catfish. And he was like, is there any good catfish place up there? I'd love to come have some catfish. I was like, oh man, have you ever heard of Harper's Catfish? He's like, what's that? Oh, it's going to be a good day in Jesus' name. And so we met, it was considered halfway, took him an, uh, an hour and a half. It took me 30 minutes. It was close enough, right? And so we get there and I was like, man, it is on me because you're going to be coming back here plenty of times. So let's go eat us some catfish. And man, we had such a good time. We ate way too much catfish. We talked to everybody. If you've been around Steve at all, he's never met a stranger. He was talking to everybody. Everybody was his best friend. Within inside 20 minutes, it was amazing. And when we are done, we get up to go pay for the food. And so, we're, man, we're having a good time. We're high-fiving folks. It's amazing. And we get up to the cash register, and right above the cash register, easy for everybody to see. A few of you guys are already smiling. Y'all probably ran into this too. Easy for everybody to see says, we don't take check cards cash only. That's fine for all of y'all. Let me tell you a secret about Pastor Brandon. I don't ever carry cash because I carry my check card. And so I'm having a good time until I look at the sign and realize, oh no. <laughs> and so I look at this sweet lady behind the cash register and she's smiling. We've been having a great time. And I said, ma'am, I am so sorry, but I forgot my cash. All I have is a check card. I am so sorry. And she said, honey, that is just fine. And then kept standing there <laughs> because she's willing to forgive me, but somebody's got to pay for all that catfish I just ate. <laughs> and I was like, you know, and I was like, you know, I didn't mean to. I didn't even know what I was doing. I am so sorry. And she said, it is fine, honey. It is totally fine. Somebody's going to pay for all that catfish. And I was in a mess. In my mind, I'm thinking, I guess I'm going to go wash dishes for a while because I don't have any money. Well, then Steve, as only he can say, he's like, now I know why you brought me to eat. Now I see you wanted me to pay for the catfish. But instead of what happened, he knew what was going on. While I'm sitting here with my mouth wide open in trouble, he steps right in front of me and he said, so, uh, buddy, it's fine. Hey, I got it. How much is it? Well, it was this one. Hey, it's fine. It's fine. As a matter of fact, I'm going to pay for his food. I'm going to pay for my food. And that couple that was in there, would you pay for their food too? Because, man, I just had such a good time with him. And he pays for my food. That's exactly what Jesus did for all of us. The, the idea is that we came into this world not even realizing we were in sin. We came into this world living according to the darkness, living according to the themes of darkness and all the different things because we didn't know any other way to be. We didn't, we didn't realize there was a sign that said the wages of sin is death. But we went ahead and lived the way we wanted to. But then at one point, we came to a realization. We came up to the cash register and realized, I don't have enough money to get my way out of here. I can't pay for my own sin. The amazing thing about Jesus is he stepped in front of us and he said, I'll pay it. Yeah, but you don't know how much it is. Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> 
I know exactly how much it is. I've been here. I didn't eat any of it, but I've been here, and I'll pay for all of it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to pay for his, and I'm going to pay for everybody else's. All they got to do is come up and receive what I did. Yeah, but you don't understand. It's going to cost you a lot. As a matter of fact, it's going to cost me everything, and I'm glad to do it. Don't just pay for it and then remind him about it, but instead, act as though he'd never been here before. That's what Jesus did for all of us. We came into this world. We sinned. And the, you, know what, you know what going to hell is? It's getting to the place of death and deciding you want to pay for your own sin. That's all that it is. Everlasting life in heaven is getting to the place where you say, I can't pay for my own sin. Jesus, will you pay for it for me? I'd be glad to. Let me step right in front of you, and I'll take care of this. That's what Jesus did for all of us. And it's nothing that we can earn. It, nothing we can do to deserve it. All we can do is receive it. That's why God's word says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. It means that the old life is gone and the new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And so it is that we're there. We all have a way to pay for our own sin. And what God's word says is that Jesus stepped in front of us and said, I'll take it. Go ahead and charge it to my account. I will pay for their sin and make it as though they'd never sinned before. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And so what happened was, is our identity shifted from someone who couldn't pay for our own sin to now we have become through Christ the righteousness of God. That we no longer are identified by our worst mistakes. We're now identified by what Jesus did when he paid for all of our sin. But the lie of the enemy is to want you to continue to be defined by everything you used to be. As a matter of fact, I had to learn this the hard way. And what I had to realize, and this is none of your notes, but I had to realize this means that I am not a sinner saved by grace. I am a saint who sometimes sins. Because you know what the Bible says in the New Testament? Is when, when people are being inspired by God to write to the church, they're not saying, hey, you bunch of dirty, wretched sinners that Jesus somehow had mercy on. You know what he calls them? He calls them saints. He calls them holy ones. We're reading through the book of First and Second Corinthians right now. Oh my goodness. The, the church of Corinth was like the, the Las Vegas of the New Testament, all right? It's like what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Folks be doing crazy stuff, all right? There was even a place where Paul was getting on to somebody because a guy had taken his father's wife and now they're together, okay? That's horrible and gross. And he's saying, hey, church, who ain't got it figured out yet, you're not sinners saved by grace. You're holy ones. You're, you know why? Because of the righteousness that God has done. And I get that I came from a culture, a church culture, where we would say this kind of stuff all the time. And it wasn't for anything bad. We were just celebrating what God had done in our life. But if we're not careful, we start to identify ourselves as wrong instead of I used to be but now I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We were so obsessed with just focusing on how horrible we were. We used to sing a song. I don't know if you're old enough to remember this song. We used to sing this old song that said, Lord, just build me a cabin in the corner of glory. Anybody remember that one? Build me a cabin in the corner of glory land. That's what we sing. And we were just like, we would just almost take pride in saying, I'm worse than you are. No, no, no. I'm worse than you are. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm worse, worse, worse than you are. And the whole time, I wonder if Jesus is going, but what about me? Stop focusing on your badness and focus on my glory. 
and what I did for you. Because you're no longer defined by your worst mistakes, but rather you're defined by who I say that you are. And the power of the blood of Jesus was strong enough to completely change your spiritual identity into who you were to now who Christ says that you are. And so I no longer call myself a sinner saved by grace. I say I was a sinner who has now been saved by grace, and I am now a holy one in Christ Jesus because of what he has done in me. This is what Jesus actually says about you. God's word says, but you are not like that. You're not waiting for a, a, a broke down cabin in the corner of glory, but actually you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you now get to show others the goodness of God for what he called you out of the darkness and into the wonderful light. I have this feeling, and I may be wrong, but I have this feeling that if we could understand who Jesus says we are, we would never be discouraged again. We would be dis disappointed with things that happen in our life. But if we truly knew what we look like spiritually and that we stand in victory because of Christ and because of his finished work on the cross, we would never have another day we were, and when we were discouraged because we would know who Jesus says we are. You know who Jesus says you are according to the scripture? He says, first of all, that you are a chosen people, which means you weren't God's last choice you were his first. I don't know if you ever experienced this, but like when I used to be in a middle school and, and we would be on the playground and we, was gonna, we were gonna play maybe a game of softball or basketball or whatever, you know, we'd have two team captains and everybody start picking one after another. And here's the thing, I was never good enough at basketball to be first. I just didn't wanna be the poor kid that was last. And then everybody was like, well, someone's got to take him. Come on over here, Brandon. And I will admit, more than once, I was that guy because I didn't have the skills, or I just didn't have it. And here's the thing. Many times the enemy will lie to you because of your past, because of the things you did in those dark, broken places. And he will tell you that that's who you are, that Jesus, out of his mercy, mercy picked you last, and you need to just be, be glad he picked you. That's not what Jesus thinks about you. He didn't pick you last, he picked you first. And he said, if I only had to die for just you, gladly willing to do it. Yeah, but Jesus, I'm not real good at this game called life. I don't care, I didn't, I didn't save you because of what you could do for me. I saved you because of what I could do for you. And so I picked you first. God's word says he calls us royal priests, which means we are adopted into the holy family of God. That we are now, if you're a Christ follower in here, that you are now a son and a daughter in the kingdom of God. And priests back then were considered the lucky ones because they got to stay around the presence of God. And he said that you are now part of my family and you stay connected to my presence. That you're a holy nation. The word holy means without any sin inside of you. So holy would be W-H. O-L-E. You are a whole person. You're a freedom walker. You're no longer defined by your sin, but you're defined by who Christ says you are. And you're God's very own possession, which means you're highly valued and treasured by God. And I'm telling you, if we could ever understand who God says that we are, our body armor would be so strong that when the enemy tried to come lie to us and try to say, do you know who you are? Absolutely. I know exactly who I am. I am a chosen person. I am part of the family of God. I am part of the holy nation, and I am God's very own possession. But what about you? what you used to do? I did used to do that, but guess who I am now? I am. And you start telling the enemy who you really are. And when you do that, you're guarding your heart, and you're standing in victory. 
But here's the thing is the enemy knows you. He knows your weak places. He's not going to do that to you on Sunday morning. He's going to do it to you on Thursday afternoon when you had a bad day, only to get home and realize you're going to have a bad afternoon, and he's going to start messing with you. And so here's something that you need to know, and that is what are some of the weapons the enemy uses to attack my position in Christ? Number one, social media. Now, there's a bunch. I'm just going to pick on three, okay? I don't know what the enemy's favorite tool with you is. These are mine. Because here's the thing. Social media is amazing. It helps me keep up with my family. It helps me keep up with my friends. And it helps me tell you that Mission Barbecue is coming to Bowling Green. And I'm super excited about that, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. That was a, yeah, yes. But here's the other thing. Is if you don't let yourself be defined by who Jesus says you are, there's a whole bunch of other stuff waiting to tell you who you are. And you know what social media will do? Is you'll get on there just excited about what God's doing in your life. And you'll realize that someone took their family to the beach. And all you could do is take your family to the slip and slide out back. <laughs> and you start to realize, oh, no. I don't have value. Somebody else just got a new job and your words, you're going to get laid off from yours. Somebody else is, is bragging about how perfect their marriage is and you hadn't even talked to your spouse in three days. And so if you're not careful, what's going to happen is the quickest way to take for granted what God is doing in your life is to try to compare it to somebody else's highlight reels. And what the enemy will do is he'll say, if you really were a Christian and if God really favored you, everything would be a home run. Can I tell you, that's not true. And what you got to be so careful with is not let the enemy use this tool as a weapon to help you try to redefine who you are. Rather, let God's word redefine who you are. How about another one, the news cycle? There's always something new to worry about, right? You know, we, we just got to where we found a comfortable place with COVID and there's monkeypox going on. I don't know. There's always something to worry about. And you know what can happen is the enemy can, can start to hit that same spot over and over again. And if you don't turn it off, eventually it'll create a weak spot where you'll start to deny God's ability to protect you. And he's trying to get to your heart because if he knows if he can get to your heart, he can shake you off your place of victory. Be careful. Have at least one day a week where you don't even give the enemy an opportunity to try to hit you, you turn it off because we need to remember who God says we are. How about this one? Broken pasts, broken present situations, and broken people. Other people will define you if you let them. And so what you've got to do is when the enemy wants to use these things, and I don't know what weapon he wants to use against you, but whatever it is, we don't believe who we are based on what everybody else says. We believe who we are based on what Jesus has done in my life. And I put on the belt of truth so that I understand what truth is. And then I put on the body armor of righteousness and realize the enemy, you may try to hit me with stuff and it may hurt me, but it will not make me back off because my heart is protected, number one, because of positionally who I am in Christ. And positionally who you are in Christ is you are somebody. That's why in the spiritual world, you got nothing to prove and nobody to impress. You've never been more loved than you are right now, not because of who you are, but because of who Christ is. That's also why this is not a weapon to wield against other people. We're not comparing our Christianity to anybody else's. Instead, we put it on and realize I'm, I am not better than anybody else, but I am absolutely better than I used to be because I am realizing who I am in Christ. So I stand in victory because of positionally who I am. And then secondly, I stand in victory with our hearts secure because practically I am learning to walk in daily freedom. Practically, I am learning to walk in daily freedom. Can I tell you, this one used to confuse me so bad because when I gave my life to Jesus, 
It was in 1996, which makes me look really old. And I know, but that wasn't that long ago. But in 1996, October the 26th, I gave my life to Jesus, and I was so excited because I realized what Christ had done. And I felt like, like a spiritual explosion had happened in my life. And I thought for sure I was going to wake up the next day and not have a single problem. My attitude issues were going to be gone. All my other issues were going to be gone. It was going to be amazing. And I think I made it till about noon before I realized I still had attitude issues. I still had stuff I needed to figure out. And what I couldn't figure out is that I had been born into the kingdom of God. Positionally, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of what he has done in my life. But if that's true, then not you. All of you are perfect. But for me, if I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, then why do I mess up so bad sometimes? Why do I still have flesh patterns in my life? Why do I have bad thoughts sometimes? Why do I struggle to forgive people sometimes? If I truly am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, then why am I not already perfect? And one of the things I had to realize is that my goal is to walk out practically what I now am positionally. My goal in life at that point is to walk out practically what I am positionally. It's just like the, the, the nation of Israel. It took them just a few weeks because of plagues to get free of Egyptian bondage. They've been Egyptian bondage for over 400 years. Over just a course of a couple of weeks, they got free. But then it took them 40 years to get Egypt out of them. And so what happens to us is that positionally, we become free in Christ. But then we begin the great adventure of walking out practically who Christ says we are positionally. And we slowly start walking in freedom because before we knew Christ, we were living in dark places and we had to abide by the rules of darkness. We had to do the things that darkness required. And now we live in the light, but we still think by the rules of darkness. And so it is a process to now say, you don't have to live like that anymore. You're no longer bound by those addictions and those thought processes. And it becomes the long walk of freedom in our life to become practically what I already am positionally. Here's the difference in God's word. This is a challenging verse, but it's the truth of God's word. And it says this, dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil and or who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. So in other words, he said there's a difference. When you have people who are not Christians, then of course they're going to live with sinful brokenness in their life. You know why? Because they're not Christians. As Christ followers, we need to stop judging non-Christians by the standards of God's word because they don't know him yet. Like, we, don't, we don't get clean and then come to Christ. We come to Christ so that we can get clean. Like he is the cleaning agent in our life. And that's what God's word is saying is, is, hey man, these are two different dynamics that are happening. And those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love their other believers does not belong to God. It's the idea of being set free from prison and the prison door is open and you're, and you're being told, hey, walk out, there's freedom for you. 
But if you don't think according to the freedom you have, the prison door can be open, but you're gonna go and sleep there every night because you're still thinking with the prisoner mentality. And what we have to realize as Christ followers is we are free. We are free of everything that we had to do to medicate the broken places in our life. And so therefore, what God will do is he will slowly walk us toward freedom. And so God's word teaches us then that sin doesn't affect now our relationship, but it does affect our fellowship. Sin doesn't affect our relationship with God, but it does affect our fellowship. Let me give it to you like this. Imagine there's a newlywed couple. Man, they love each other. Things are awesome. They are great. Man, it is, it is just wonderful. Things are great. Husband and wife. And they're just so thankful to have one another. But then after about two to three weeks of their marriage, one day that precious wife walks in and sees her husband's dirty, stinky, nasty, fungus-filled socks all over her pillow. No, not on the floor, not on the kitchen table, but on her pillow where her face is going to rest just a few hours later. You're talking about immediate disgusting grossness. And immediately she's like, how dare he? He knows I can't stand feet. He knows that we had a discussion about this before we ever got married and said, listen, I don't like feet. If they weren't necessary for walking, we wouldn't have them. But so I need you to keep your feet and everything that belongs to your feet away from me. Yes, honey, I won't do it. And now she walks in and sees these nasty socks all over her pillow. In that moment, are they still married? Hopefully. <laughs> in that moment, are they still married? Yes, they're still married. But in that moment, do they have an issue? Yes, they have an issue. In that moment, they are still married. But has their fellowship been broken? Yes, because we're going to have us a conversation before we're going to reestablish this friendship because you just crossed the line. Well, here's the thing. Do you know what you shouldn't do? Okay, this is, this is marriage 101. I learned this the hard way. I didn't put any socks on my wife's pillow. All right, I didn't do that. But I learned this the hard way. That if I come in and I see that I have wronged my wife by putting my nasty socks on there, you know what I would have done? That's not a big deal. Not a big deal at all. As a matter of fact, I'm probably better that way. So it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Now, it's a big deal to her, but imagine like it's not a big deal to me. That is the wrong way to reestablish fellowship. I, just, I think I just saw somebody elbow. Don't do that, okay? Don't do that right now, all right? This is an example, all right? Um, that is not how you reestablish fellowship. Do you know how you reestablish fellowship? Is you walk in and you go, oh, I'm so sorry, babe. You're right. I, I have no excuse. I shouldn't have done that. I don't know what I was thinking, but it doesn't matter. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Absolutely. And because they're newlyweds, man, everything's good. And they hug one another in Jesus' name because it is a story on Sunday morning. And the truth is, is that they reestablish their fellowship with one another because one person came to another and say, listen, our relationship is not in trouble, but our fellowship is, and I don't want anything standing between me and you. And so, hey, I'm sorry. That's what it is after we're a Christ follower. When Jesus saves you, he saves you completely. And now you can stand in victory because positionally I have now become the righteousness of Christ. And then when we sin, because we all do, we don't look to Jesus and go, hey, that's no big deal. Hey, don't worry about that. Don't, don't worry. Man, our sin cost Jesus his life. So every time we sin, it is a big deal. But you know what Jesus doesn't want us to do? He doesn't want us to wallow in it for three months. He doesn't want us to hide from him for a while. Instead, he wants us to come to him and say, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I have no excuse. I know I shouldn't have said that. I know I shouldn't have done that. 
I know I shouldn't have been there. I was. I'm so sorry. You know what Jesus does? Is he doesn't say, how dare you? He says, it's okay. It's okay. I forgive you. Come close. Let's reestablish our fellowship. I'm not as interested in the sin as I am in our relationship. Let's come close. Let's come close. And so that's what it is. Is that Jesus is not interested in condemning you. He's interested in restoration. And so that's why we walk practically who we are, is we walk in confession to say, I know that my relationship is not at, at, at risk here, but I want to be as close to you as I possibly can. Because what Jesus also knows is that if you let that fellowship get longer and longer and further apart away because of unconfessed sin, he will never leave you. But eventually you might leave him because you forget who you're married to. And so we always keep short accounts with God. Well, then here's the question. How do we do that? This is a big book. There's a lot of stuff in here. You know why there's a lot of stuff in here? It's because there's a lot of broken places that the enemy wants to steal your freedom. And thank goodness that God speaks to all of those base issues so that we know how to move in this life. But there's a lot of things that want to stop us from living out practically who Christ says we are uh, positionally. And so what do we do? Well, God's word actually speaks to this. One day somebody came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, this is my own words. They said, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in that Old Testament. There's over 500 and something laws that we're supposed to keep. That's a lot. Sounds like we need a savior. That's right, we need Jesus. But if we were to have a cheat code to kind of break through all of this, to figure out how we can start walking out practically, who you say we are positionally, how would we get started? And Jesus said this to him. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But there is a second, second equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. In other words, Jesus is saying, ask the question, is what I'm doing honoring God and others or medicating sin and broken places in my life? How do I know if I'm on the road of walking out practically who Christ says I am. Well, in all things, because I have been so loved by God, is what I'm doing honoring God and others or medicating sin and brokenness. And it's so very important to get those in the right order. Because if you focus on honoring others before you honor Christ, you're gonna get messed up. But we can't love people well until we realize how loved we are by God. Because it is God who teaches us how to love. Love is the characteristic of who God is. And so we truly can't know, God, know love until we know God. And then once we know God, he teaches us how to love. How? By seeing how much he loves us. And by seeing that he loves us just the way we are. But he loves us too much to let us stay that way. And what I love about God, this is not in your notes, but as you slowly walk toward God, he will reveal areas that are stealing your freedom at a rate you can stand so you can walk in closer fellowship. One of the things we've got to realize is that Jesus loves you completely. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you know what I love about Jesus? It blows my mind. Is that Jesus saves us 
without us being able to promise we'll be perfect after that. Like imagine that you were going to enter into a, let's just say a business relationship. And somebody said, hey man, we're going to do good business together and we're going to work well together and all this. And, and you ask the question, were you going to be honest? Are you going to be, are you going to be perfect in all your dealings? Absolutely not. Man, I'm going to, I'm going to stab you in the back so many times. I'm going to mess up. Man, you don't need to trust me for nothing. Don't do business with that person, all right? Appreciate your honesty, but I'm headed out elsewhere. You know what we do to Jesus? Hey, listen, you can't, you can't pay for your own sin. The cost of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that anyone who would believe, put their trust in him, would not have to perish but have eternal life. And then my favorite verse in the whole Bible, God did not send his son into the world to, to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help and to put the world, that's me and you, right again. And you know what we did when we looked at Christ? Without meaning to, but we did. Jesus, I'm gonna serve you until about two weeks from Tuesday. And then I'm gonna mess up. And then, unfortunately, because I'm going to get into a bad spiral, it's going to be a bad fight I'm going to have, I'm going to start sinning against you again and again and again. I'm going to stab you in the back so bad. At work, I'm going to turn my back on you a bunch of times. Hey, I'm, I'm going to do all of that. You know what's amazing about Jesus? Come on anyway. And we'll figure it out together. Because positionally, I'm going to make you clean. As though you've never sinned before. And then it's going to take the rest of your life. But you and me together are going to slowly walk you out of everything the enemy put you into, every addiction, everything. We're going to walk it out, and we're going to do it together because that brokenness does not belong to my baby. And I know that you picked up that addiction because of that wound in your heart. You picked up looking at pornography because you felt rejected by everybody. Well, guess what? I don't reject you. And it's going to take a minute. But I'm going to help you realize that that cheap trick is not what you were designed for. And I'm going to help you walk to freedom. That unforgiveness you got inside yourself that you can forgive everybody else, but you can't forgive that person. You know what? That's because you think you don't have value. And because you think that forgiveness is saying it's okay. I'm going to teach you what forgiveness really is. And forgiveness is saying, give them to me, baby. I got them. But you go and walk in freedom. That's what Jesus wants for all of us. And so it looks like this. You've got me and you've got Jesus. And between me and Jesus is my addictions and my lies and my unforgiveness. And what happens is when I give my life to Jesus, positionally, man, I am clean and I am on my way to heaven. But I've still got issues that aren't going to keep me out of heaven, but they're going to keep me out of fellowship. And they're going to keep me broken. And you know what Jesus does? Slowly but surely. About 80% of them he's going to reveal in that moment. He's going to wash them away. You're going to walk in freedom. But there's about 20% that you're gonna struggle with. But Jesus doesn't throw you away. Instead, slowly, at a rate you can handle, sometimes at a rate you don't think you can handle, but he knows. He's gonna say, you know what, Brandon? That addiction in your life, when you were in your, in your early 20s and you struggled with pornography because you felt so rejected by your life, you don't need that, buddy. Because I know who I say you are. And you got a wife that loves you. And you don't have to walk in that broken place anymore. And he walked me to freedom until I got just a little bit closer. 
And then as I kept walking, I didn't even realize I had lies in my life because of some 10 unwritten commandments in my family that said things like never trust people. Ultimately, everybody's gonna leave you alone. In the end, you can't even trust God. You gotta do it all by yourself. And I believed that lie until I grew to a place where then Jesus loved me enough to put a mirror in front of me and he said, buddy, you don't need that. You don't need to believe that you're all alone. First of all, I'm with you. And that my word says that nothing can separate you from my love. But you've also got brothers and sisters in Christ all around you that couldn't care less and couldn't care more. You don't need that. And over time, he helped me walk into freedom so I could get a little bit closer. And then that was my hard one. Because I had people very close to me that I would tell you I had forgiven, but I wouldn't share a meal with them. I, wouldn't, I didn't have a kind word for them. Because I thought forgiveness meant to tell them that what they did was okay. That how they abused me was acceptable. And to let them around my family. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is saying, I will not be defined by what you did to me. I'm going to be defined by who Jesus says I am. And so in time, God started to reveal to me this unforgiving place. And he's like, Brandon, we could be closer. Really, Jesus? How? How can we be closer? You remember so-and-so? I don't want to talk about that. Okay, okay. A couple weeks later in my prayer time, hey, Brandon, we can be closer. You can experience my presence more. You can be, you can be closer to me. Jesus, how? Remember so-and-so? I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Jesus plays the long game. He is interested in your freedom. You are not, you're not just something that he, he saves and set aside. He saves and he goes to work. And through time, eventually, he brought up that person and he said, buddy, they're broken too. And what they did is not okay. But it is not fair for you to stop living your life trying to punish them by your bitterness. It's time to give them to me. And can I tell you, when I did that, it was not an emotion. It was a decision. And I said, Jesus, I don't feel like it and I don't want to do it, but I'm not going to be operated by my emotions. I'm going to be operated by your truth. Your word is truth. And as a decision, I decide to step toward forgiveness. And when that happened, I got even closer. And I got even closer. And I want to ask you this question. Have you let the enemy pierce your heart with the lie that you don't deserve God's forgiveness? That you're just a sinner Saved by grace. Can I tell you that's a lie of the enemy? That because of who Jesus says we are, I stand in victory with my chest back and my armor on and my heart protected, saying positionally, yes, devil, that is who I was, but this is who I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am adopted into the family of God. I have significance because of who Jesus says I am, and I am fully loved. Come at me, bro. You got nothing because of who Jesus says I am. And then, when I mess up, and then the enemy says, how dare you? How dare you? I run to my father. Jesus, I have no excuse. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he says, it's fine, buddy. Come on. I got you, and I got this. What about you? Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know that you've never been more loved than you are right now? And that if you're a Christ follower, it doesn't matter what the devil says, that you have been bought with a price. You don't even belong to yourself anymore, but you are who Jesus says you are. Have you got sin in your life? The enemy will tell you that it is impassable, 
that it is a brokenness that can never be healed. What if the Holy Spirit only reveals things he intends to heal? And what if when I said, have you guys sinned in your life, that thing came because it's time for forgiveness. And the first step is to come to Jesus, not in fear, not in condemnation, but with a sense of joy. God, I'm so sorry, but I know that you're here to forgive me. The enemy wants to keep you bound and broken. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And so I put on the body armor of righteousness because I know positionally I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And slowly but surely, I'm walking out practically who he says I am. So when the enemy comes, he's already defeated. Let's pray together this morning. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you, God, that you see us and you know us. God, in this moment and in this room, I believe that there are people who have no idea who they are in Christ. But in this moment, I believe, Holy Spirit, that you're waking us up. You're helping us to realize why it's so important and why our heart is so heavy all the time. It's because we don't have our identity on to know who you say we are. Lord, there's some of us in here, we don't have a relationship with you. Or maybe we're in here and we have, we've let sin come into our life. And maybe our fellowship is broken. I pray that in this moment, you'll give us the courage to take a step of faith. Everybody's heads bowed and eyes are closed. In just a moment, the band is gonna lead us in one more worship song. And I wanna ask you a question. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you to do? Maybe you're in here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never asked Jesus to wash away your sin and symbolically bow your knee to him and declare him as Christ and Lord. Can I tell you, he's waiting for you. Maybe the whole reason why you're here today is so you can hear somebody say, God's not mad at you. He's not vengeful toward you. He's in love with you. And in just a moment when we pray, you just need to repent of all your sin. Well, Pastor Brandon, it's not that easy. Yes, it is. It's giving everything over to him and then trusting him to breathe new life into you. Maybe you're in here and you have a relationship with God, but if you're honest, your fellowship is not where it needs to be. And the enemy has tried to fill you with conviction or condemnation and have told you that you could never be free, you could never be clean. That's a lie. Instead, we run to our Heavenly Father. God, I have no excuse. And He's smiling at you. He's not mad at you. He's not sad. He's joyful because His child is coming home again. And if you could ever realize just how loved you are, you would never leave His presence. And so I want to pray for us one more time. And then we're going to engage with God today. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to know you and to be known by you. In this place and in this moment, we reach out for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Could you stand with me all over the house this morning? The band is going to lead us in a worship song. And I want to ask you this question. What next step do you need to make? Maybe you just need to raise your hands and give everything over to God and say, God, I repent of all my sin. I turn to you. Maybe you're going through a difficult time right now and you need someone to pray with you. You've got prayer team in the back that would love to pray with you. Maybe you just want to come up front, just kneel down before the Lord and just spend time and get God involved. Whatever you need to do, 
Let's pursue the presence of the Lord together. He is our righteousness.